0: Last week we looked at the, uh, the need for intentional spirituality on our parts and the idea of abiding in Christ and I appreciate the uh, positive comments, the reminders that I've had from people over the week. I've been sending out those daily reminders about let's uh, try and focus on our spirituality and people have uh, in turn responded and said, hey, this has kind of worked for us and so I appreciate that very much and, and uh, hope that that continues to go well for you. I may send some more out. And so be watching for those, and, uh, and hopefully those will be encouraging. We've got a little bit of a one-track mind right now in terms of spirituality and talking about the Holy Spirit and His presence in our lives. We're actually going to try and make this a theme during the fall. We're kind of like the, uh, the three brothers who were in the process of immigrating to Canada, and they were at the last stage of their immigration. And uh, the immigration officer calls them in one by one. And the last thing that they have to do as they're being immigrated into Canada is to pass an English exam. So they all are going in one by one, and the immigration officer is asking them to come in. And he invites the first brother in. And what he has to do is uh, he has to use an, a certain English word in a sentence in order to pass the exam. And so the examiner looks at to the first brother and says, uh, the first word is great. I want you to use great in a sentence. So the guy kind of looks at himself, and he's thinking about what he could do. And he says... Uh, he says, I have a new jacket and it looks great. And the immigration officer says, well, that works. Okay, good. You can go out. So the brother, when he goes outside, he, he grabs his other two brothers and he says, ah, it's easy. All you have to do is just, the guy's going to say something about, you have to use the word great in a sentence. And you can just say, uh, I have a new jacket and it looks great. So the second brother comes in and, and he sits down and the immigration officer looks at him and says, I'd like for you to use this English word in a sentence. And the word is great. And the guy says, I have a new jacket and look, it looks great. And then the immigration officer says, well, that's that works. Okay, that's fine. You've passed. So he leaves. But the immigration officer is now caught on to the little ploy. And so the second guy goes out to his third brother and says, piece of cake. You can handle it. So the third brother walks in. He sits down. The immigration officer looks at it and he says, I want you to use the word fascinate. Well, the brother panics. He doesn't know what to do. He's ready for the word great. He's not ready for the word fascinate. So he doesn't know what to do. So he's thinking, what am I going to do? And so he finally he looks and he says, I have a new jacket. And it looks great. And it's got 12 buttons, but I only fascinate. <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what happens to us when we're too single-minded. We may not pass the English exam that we need to pass, but fascinate, or, uh, focus on one thing can be good too, and I think focusing on the Holy Spirit is a good thing, we're going to keep focusing on the Spirit and spiritual things for a while, and I think that God is going to bless us as we do. Let's have some audience participation this morning, and it goes like this, I want you to answer this question, and just uh, you, can, uh, you can raise your hand, I'll call on you, you can tell me what you think. And give me a very brief answer here. How important is it, do you think, that our children, as they move from adulthood or into adulthood, listen to our recommendations concerning what we want for their lives? How important do you think it is that our children listen to us as they go into adulthood? How important is it, do you think, that our children listen to what we want what we want for their lives. And I can kind of see how this would go in different directions. What do you think? Somebody raise your hand and tell me how important you think that is that children listen to what we want for their lives. You express a certain desire. I want my son to be a fill-in-the-blank. How important is it that they listen to our lives? Aaron, what do you think? I think what we want is good. what we want is very important. Okay. Okay, good answer. Everybody said, or what she said, and I'll say it so everybody can hear. She said, if what we want for our children is in line with what the Lord wants for our children, then that works pretty good. But uh, if not, then that's not so good. So we need to be aware of uh, just having the concern of the Lord for our children's lives maybe be preeminent. Okay, good answer. Curtis? I have some pitfalls in my life that I would wish they would avoid. Okay, sure. We have some pitfalls In our lives, that we wish they would avoid. And if that's the case, we may not always have excellent wisdom when it comes to helping our children out. Sometimes we've lived and that's given us some wisdom. We've come through some pitfalls. But the fact that I have pitfalls in my own life might not always help me have the best judgment, too. Okay? Somebody else. How important do you think it should be that our children listen to what we want for them? Elsie? Okay. It's very important that we listen to what they want for their lives. Okay, sure. And advise them from that Sure. Okay, very important that that we listen to what they want in their lives and that we advise them from the perspective of, of thinking about what they want. Okay, one more. One other idea about what you think. Go ahead, Mark. I, I think it's important for children to to listen to us in the sense of our elders and the experiences we went through in our lives as they grow up, but also they're going to be charting for themselves new paths and they're going to explore for themselves new ways of how they can keep the church relevant for their time. Okay, so with reference to the church specifically, children need to have the freedom to kind of apply things in their own lives and to, to um, for us to recognize that the world they're going to live in is not the world we live in, and the church they're going to be part of is not the church that we're part of. Okay? Those kind of things. I agree. Well, it's an interesting question to ask how much impact should we have on our children's lives? How much should they be listening to us? And especially when it comes to what we want. What if, instead of us, what if it was Jesus? What if the question is not, what does mom and dad want? In my life, what if the question is, and this is kind of where Aaron went from the beginning there, what about Jesus? What if Jesus is saying to you, This is how I want you to live? What if it's not your parents? Like it's easy for kids today, I think, and this makes some sense, for them to say, This is my life, and my parents have had their lives, and I understand what they want for me. And I know that they have certain desires for my life. They want me to be a something. They want me to be successful. They want me to be happy. They want joy to come into my life. They want these kind of things for me. But what if I don't want those things? Like it would be easy for parents, for example, and I've, I'm not quite at this point yet, but parents could easily say, I'd like for my children to have their own children so that we could have grandkids. That sounds like a great deal. But the children are saying, you know what? We don't really care to have kids. We've decided that we're going to not have children as a married couple. And you think to yourself, "Well, oh, they're going to miss out on so much. They'd be better off if they did have kids. And certainly it would bring joy to me if they had kids. But your kids may decide still not to have their own children. Well, what if that is Jesus who has got a certain perception of what he wants for us in our lives? Do we still say to him, Uh, You know, I've got my own life to live here. And what if we compare how we live and who we are to how Jesus lived and who he was? Like, is the pattern that Jesus sets in life the pattern that we need to follow? Now, in one sense, the answer is kind of simple. We'd say, well, of course. Jesus is our example. He's our guide. We need to follow him in every way. But what about... When we recognize that there is a clear distinction in the way that Jesus lives and the way in which we live. And let me show you what I mean. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1 verse 18. If you're looking at the Pew Bible, this is page 681. Matthew one eighteen, you can see this on the screen too. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. but Before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. This is interesting to me that the Holy Spirit is there right at the inception of Jesus Christ. Right at the beginning. And there's a sense in which it's not really his decision or anything. He's the baby. This is just who he is. The Holy Spirit is right there at the inception of Christ. Now I want you to look at Luke chapter 1, verse 15. This is page 723 in the Pew Bible. Scripture simply says, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, says, even from birth. And so again, from the inception, from the outset of the life of Jesus... The Holy Spirit is there, part of his life and ultimately part of his ministry. Now look at Luke's 1, verse 35. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born to you will be called the Son of God. Again, words to Mary in which she is being told the Holy Spirit is going to be part of, from the inception, the birth of Jesus Christ. The next slide. Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. Not only does it is it the case that the Holy Spirit is there from the beginning and with the birth of Jesus. Notice it says here, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, which I think is a reference to judgment. And the point that Jesus is making is, is that my Ministry And everything that I am as a messenger of God, as the son of God coming into the world, is going to be overshadowed by, influenced by, characterized by the presence of the Holy Spirit in my ministry. Next slide. Matthew chapter 3 verses 16 and 17. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Notice that from the outset of Jesus' ministry, the Holy Spirit is right there. And this, key is, this text is key for showing just how central the Holy Spirit is in his ministry. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus' And at this initiatory kind of act of baptism, the Holy Spirit settles on him and I think enters him in a special way and really becomes part of his ministry in a way that he had not before. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to be with him then throughout the rest of his time on earth and the rest of his ministry. And it's amazing sometimes the way that the Spirit functions within the life of Jesus. So take, for example, look at Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, it says, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into, it should be into, the desert. That is amazing. Do you see what the text says there? Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, which you think would mean nothing but good things for him. But it says that when he returned from the Jordan after his baptism... He's led by the Spirit into the desert. What happens in the desert? Somebody just raise your hand and tell me what happens to Jesus when he gets into the desert. Do you know? Trent, what is it? Exactly. Trent's exactly right. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit into the desert in order to be tempted. Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever noticed it? That's an amazing thing. Like the last thing that you'd think would happen with the Holy Spirit's ministry in the life of Jesus is that the Holy Spirit would lead Jesus into the desert in order to have him tempted by Satan. But that's exactly what happens. And then look at these next verses. Luke 4:14 4, through 18 Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it's written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Notice what Jesus says about the Spirit's presence in his ministry and in his his preaching. He can't carry on what it is that God wants him to do without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In the next slide. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Don't leave Jerusalem. This is after the resurrection. He's with his apostles. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what's on their minds. They want to know about the kingdom and its establishment and what's going to happen here in the future. And he said to them, "It's not for you to know the times and dates the Father set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth." Which, if you think about it, means that throughout the ministry of, or uh, throughout the course of the life of the of the church, that the Holy Spirit is going to be right there ministering to the church and carrying it forward even to the ends of the earth. And this is going to go right from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 28 and let continue on past there. Okay, you can turn the slides off. Thank you. Here's what I want you to see. The Holy Spirit is so very central to our lives as Christians and so central to the life of Jesus and his ministry that it tells me that we have got to have the Spirit front and center in everything that we're doing as Christians. And I'm not sure if that's always either been or is the case in the life of the followers of Jesus and certainly not at the Calgary Church of Christ. If I was to talk to you about our history as a movement, Churches of Christ... And I was going to talk to you about the things that have been kind of theologically at the center for us. The things that have been the heart of what it means for us to be a church of Christ in the past. Sometimes I wonder if the Holy Spirit would have much of a show there if we were to talk about those kinds of things. Every one of you has priorities in your lives. Usually it has to do with vocation or maybe it has to do with family. There are things if I said make a list of the things that are most important to you, you could make that list. What would be at the center for you? And what would be at the center for you as a Christian if you're to talk about your own personal theology, your own personal reflection for what it means for you to be a Christian? Is the Holy Spirit right at the center of what it means for you to be a Christian? Like, is that what comes to mind first? If you think about your priorities? Maybe for some of you. My impression a lot of times is that if we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit being right at the center of our ministries or right at the center of our Christian lives, that we would probably talk about that if we were Charismatics. We would talk about that if we were Pentecostals. But for us to be in the churches of Christ or to just be in a lot of evangelical groups, the Holy Spirit is not right there at the center and front of our thinking when it comes to our Christian faith. And even if we have a focus on prayer, and even if we have a focus on scripture, and even if we have a focus on doing some good things for Jesus, there's a good chance that, just for example, when you got out of bed this week and you turned and looked at your nightstand or you looked at that note in the mirror, or you looked at one of my emails, there's a good chance that the thing that came to your mind first when thinking about your own personal spirituality was not the Holy Spirit who makes your personal spirituality possible. And I think it was otherwise with Jesus. If Jesus is our prototype, if he's our example, if we're going to follow after the Lord in all the things that he was and did, if we're going to carry out a ministry like that of Christ, if we're going to have the focus of Jesus then it seems to me like the Holy Spirit from the very beginning, right through the middle, all the way to the end, is going to be characterizing what it means for us to be Christians. It's going to have to be at the forefront of our thinking. So that when we look at the mirror and see the note that says, hey, spend two minutes with God this week, or we get an email from Kelly that says, hey, are you going to focus for two minutes on the Lord this week, that one of the things that will come to mind for us automatically is the Holy Spirit. And if he doesn't, then it would seem to me like there's room for some reflection on that. That there's room for us to think seriously about the ministry of the Spirit in our lives. And especially, I would say, that's the case when it's time for us to pray. In 1987, I was sitting around a campfire with some Africans talking about the difference that blacks and whites uh, represent in the the kingdom. Talking about the ministry that is there for us to be unified together. And I turned to Ephesians 2 and I read through Ephesians 2 and talked about the breaking down of barriers within the body of Christ. And I had been in Zambia for three weeks or so on this trip because there was a famine going on and I had taken some food and I had taken some clothing and some money and I had visited a missionary and some orphans. And they had gone for a long time without rain. And they needed it badly. And so I sat around this campfire with these people. And at the end of our evening together, I had been talking for a while and it was time for me to close in prayer. And there was a question on my heart about whether or not I should pray for rain. And I thought, what do I do here? If I pray for rain and it doesn't rain, then it looks like my God and the Spirit who works in my life is pretty weak. But if I don't pray for rain, then it looks like I've got no confidence in the Spirit working in my life. It looks like there's no presence of God within me and that I don't expect God to work. And so I decided to pray. And so I prayed, and I said, "I can remember, I can remember the exact words I said, Lord. I don't know what to pray for. These people need rain, and so I'm praying for rain, and I want you to bless them. And then I went on about how badly they needed the rain. I prayed for that, and I, I there was an uneasiness in my own spirit at the time, thinking, oh. I'm praying for this visible sign of God to work. What happens if he doesn't work? So we collected the chairs. The women actually put the chairs away because that was their job. I I grabbed a chair to put it away and and one of the men said to me, don't pick up the chair. That's for the women to do. And so I put it down and the women picked the chairs up and put those away. And so I... Grab my Bible. And Steve Mann was in a trailer about 400 meters away across a barren field that should have maize growing in it but doesn't because they haven't had any rain. And I started walking across this barren field because Steve has been ill. He's he's been dehydrated and I need to go see him. And I'm walking across these dry clods of dirt through the rows where maize should be but it's not. And before I got to the trailer, I could feel the raindrops hitting me on top of my bald head. I could feel the raindrops. I could feel the cool wind. The rain was coming down in that barren field. And all of a sudden I looked and there was lightning and there was a huge thunderstorm and the sky burst forth in rain. And so I said, wow, what a neat coincidence, and I went on my way. Of course not. In the field, I began to praise the Lord. And when I got to the trailer, I walked in and I said to Steve, you're not going to believe what just happened. I just prayed for rain. And Steve, it's raining. You could hear the rain starting to hit the trailer on the outside. God is real he is there he ministers to us through the presence of his spirit and we have got to be a people who open our eyes and watch him work we need to recognize that from the beginning the very beginning of the birth of Jesus the Holy Spirit is said to be there the spirit is right there with Mary from the outset the spirit is there at his baptism The Spirit is there as He starts His ministry. The Spirit is there in the life of the church as it progresses. And Jesus and the early church are perfect examples of what it means for us to depend upon, rely upon, have right at the center of our thinking, the Holy Spirit in the ministry of the church. And so we're a group today who would like to do some things for Jesus. We would like to see God working among us. We'd like to see something powerful happen. We would like to come here on Sunday morning and worship in a a sense of spirituality, which is intense and real, and that motivates us and lifts us up and encourages and blesses us. We'd like to see in our own spiritual walks a spiritual dynamism and excitement so that I can send you an email and you write back and say, already done it. Already done it because when I got out of bed this morning, I couldn't hold back the Spirit from working in my life. I was so on fire for Jesus from the moment I woke up that it's just been present in my day ever since. You don't even to send me an email. I've already done it, Kelly. That needs to be part of who we are. And when that's present, something wonderful can happen among us. Now here's what it takes Here's what has to happen. You have to open your eyes. You have to open your eyes. You have to be open to the presence of God in your life. You have to be expectant and willing. And you have to go out on a limb a little bit. It's a risky thing to put yourselves in the hands of God. It's a risky thing to put yourselves in the hands of a God that you can't see And to say, I want this God to work in my life. I want Him to be real to me. I want Him to do something in my life. And so I'm asking you to be a bit risky here. I'm asking you to open your eyes and to open your heart and allow God to work in you in a way that maybe you've never allowed God to work before. You've never opened your eyes to Him in this way before. And when you pray... I'm asking you to pray with expectation. I'm asking you to pray with anticipation and wait for God to minister to you. When trials come, that we should consider opportunities rather than trials, open your eyes to the ways in which God can work in those circumstances to do something wonderful and dramatic. Can you open your eyes? Can you have your heart changed and opened to the presence of Christ to work in your life? Even today, I think it can happen. And so some of you, some of you need to be healed. And some of you need a job. And some of you have loved ones that need circumstances to change for them. Some of you know people who need to know Jesus. They need to know Christ. And you love them and you want them to know Christ. And I'm asking you, I'm suggesting that you be just risky enough to ask the Lord to come and to bless you and to work in their lives and to do something. Can we pray in faith because the Holy Spirit is present there with us? Can we pray with expectation and hopefulness and excited about what God can do among us? I don't see a reason why we can't. And I think that our God is just wonderful enough and big enough and present enough that he will come into our lives and do something dramatic and wonderful if we allow him. But we've got to be open and ready for his spirit to do something among us, perhaps like we've never been before. And God will bless. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you today for the, the example of Jesus who s- from start to finish had the Holy Spirit so present in his life. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being present in the life of Jesus as an example to us. And Father, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here and I'm going to pray that you make your Spirit so evident to us, so powerful, Present and powerful. Working and accomplishing things that we can see and understand as coming from you. Father, I pray that you would make that spirit, so your spirit, so real and part of our lives that we have no doubts. Father, the way that your spirit isn't present. We pray that you would bring him and transform us and change that. And be present in us in a way like never before. And Father, where there are barriers that prevent that from happening in our lives, take them away. If there are uh, if there are mindsets, if there are attitudes, even if there are experiences in the past that make us skeptical or hesitant, take those away and open us up to your presence and help us to rely on your spirit in our lives. I pray this through Jesus. Amen.